Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and this week, it is time for another live Dragon Con panel recorded for the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics track at Dragon Con 2021. This is Geek Year 1991, entirely different from our prior 1991 episode, uh, different guests, very special guest by way of Mr. Michael Mosley returning to the show for a live Dragon Con appearance, uh, and, and our usual cast of Needless Things Irregulars. We had a blast doing this one. It was the perfect way to kick off Dragon Con. Uh, or I guess officially kick off. Obviously, we'd already been there uh, Thursday, but then Friday, this was our first panel. And it was a great time. It got me in the Dragon Con mood, and we had a lot of fun. And you guys are going to enjoy listening to it. But before we get to that, how about a little news? First order of business. You guys know that I love Super 7 Ultimates. Uh, I just recorded a review of the King Diamond Ultimate that will be going up in just a couple of weeks here as part of our spooky toy reviews in October, which I'll tell you right now, there are going to be a lot of them. Uh, So I love Super 7's Ultimates, and obviously, just like everyone else, Super 7 has been affected by all of the crazy shipping problems that are going on in the world right now. And Big Bad Toy Store, because I've... I decided to get in on the Thundercats Ultimates a little late in the game. So the first wave that I ordered from Super 7 directly was Wave 4. Wave 2 and Wave 3 I ordered from Big Bad Toy Store. And I got this update from Big Bad about Wave 3, which Slive and Captain Cracker are on their way to me now as we speak. If they make it in time, I'll get reviews up uh, as kind of bonus content before the end of September. But I don't think they're going to get here in time. So they're probably going to have to wait till November because they are not spooky toys. Uh, but here's the Wave 3 update. Wave 2 has been pushed back to 2022. That's how insane things are. Wave, uh, Super 7 said a while ago that Waves 3 and 4 were likely to arrive in the States before Wave 2 did. Uh, So here's what's up with Wave 3. Hello, thank you for pre-ordering from Big Bad Toy Store. We have received updated information regarding the arrival date of one of the items you currently have on pre-order. Super 7 has announced that they did not ship the Thundercats Ultimates Chitara with the rest of the Wave 3 figures due to quality issues. They will be reproducing the figure to ship sometime in 2022. As an apology for the unexpected delay, they will be adding an extra head for the Chitara figure that features glowing eyes as seen when she is called by the Sword of Omens on the show. So, uh, there has been a lot of sort of babble online about the shape of the Chitara figure, like early, I guess early boxed samples, that the hips were like crazy wide just unnecessarily large. Uh, 
to to the to the point where it just wasn't the aesthetics of that character and and i'm suspecting that that's what this is is that they got the final samples and were like this is just not acceptable and yes it stinks that we're going to be waiting you know another however many months for this chitara figure that we thought we were going to get almost a year ago but in my opinion super seven's doing the right thing I'm willing to wait for this figure to get the right figure, and that's why I don't have a problem with the way Super 7 and Mezco do business. Uh, I want the product to be right. I want it to be good. I want it to be as good as it can possibly be. When I'm paying collector prices for a, a figure or a toy or a whatever, take as long as you need to take. I mean, within reason. Uh, and I understand that you know, the, the year plus wait for some of the Super 7 stuff, people consider not within reason, but you also have to factor in the pandemic and the current the current shipping crisis that's going on. Uh, there are a lot of smaller toy companies that, that aren't Hasbro, that aren't Mattel, uh, like Super 7, like uh, the Valiverse, the Action Force stuff by Bobby Valla that I've got a few things on pre-order, and I know he, he's been pretty transparent about what's been going on with those. Uh you know the stuff's just going to take time and i'm i'm okay with that i got plenty of time and there are plenty of other toys coming out in the meantime so uh, i appreciate big bad giving me the update i appreciate super seven doing the right thing and not putting out a product that they know is inferior uh and uh, make good with the extra head to match uh the panthro head that we've already got now, the question becomes, well, now, wait a minute, what about heads for all the other Thundercats? And, you know, I don't know, I'm sure they'll do an accessory pack or something along those lines. Uh, but that is our first bit of news right there. Next up, uh, I'm going to mention some more. Actually, this is almost all Super 7 news. Uh, the newest wave of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is live up for pre-order. And I am pulling it up right now. Uh... I'm very excited. I'm not Ray Filet excited, but uh, oh, that's an ad. I clicked on the wrong button. I'm sorry, you guys. I have all this stuff in my notes, but it's like out of order. Okay, here it is. Super 7 pre-orders. All right. The newest wave of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ultimates, one of my favorite toy lines going right now, Ace Duck slash Michelang uh, Surfer Michelangelo scratch and a mouser pack so ace duck must have right off the bat looks phenomenal comes with uh two different jacket pieces i'm presuming one of them has a hole in the back for his included wings and then one of them is just a complete jacket looks great comes with this alternate head with a cigar unheard of i love it uh, he's got his pilot's hat, his goggles, his regular toy head that we all know and love, the egg grenades, everything. Everything you need looks incredible. Surfer Mikey. Okay, so you guys know, or you may not remember, I skipped on Samurai Leo because I just couldn't justify that 55 bucks for Samurai Leo. As much as I liked that figure when I was a kid, it just, for this price point, I, I just couldn't do it. Surfer Mikey, on the other hand, one of my favorite uh, alternate turtles or turtles in in disguise or whatever you want to call it, from the line. 
I love this figure. I got to get this one. It comes with the surfboard, comes with his uh, nunchucks with all the crustaceans on them, an alternate head with the tongue sticking out, uh, surfing, throwing stars, some guy, sushi maybe? I don't even know what those little things are. Sunglasses. Uh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. Must have. Scratch, if, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, it's because he was in possibly the last wave of the line. Uh, definitely one of the last waves. And it's a cat in like a prison uniform. The figure looks great. I, it comes with a little jailbird companion. Uh, it comes with a gun and a piece of cake. Like, this figure's fantastic, but I never had Scratch when I was a kid. If you showed me this figure by itself without any context, I don't know that I even would have directly identified it as being from the Ninja Turtles line. This one's a pass for me. As, as great as the figure is, for this price point, I, I'm just not biting. I, I can't do it. And, and I don't feel bad because I... I'm already not a completist on this line because, like I said, I passed on Samurai Leo. I passed on Krang, the simple Krang with just the two-legged robot thing. Uh, you know, if they do a big robot Krang, I'll get it. But I, I just am very conscious of what I'm buying at this price point. Slash, on the other hand, must have one of my favorite figures from the line. Uh, alternate head, all kinds of hands, all the original weapons you remember, remember slash having. Just looks fantastic. And all the enhanced detail that the Ultimates are bringing to the table. Uh, and then finally, a five-pack of Mousers, which I've already got two Mousers. I've got one glow-in-the-dark one that came with the glow-in-the-dark Baxter Stockman. Uh, and then I've got a regular Mouser. And, uh, you know... They're neat. I'm not paying 55 bucks for five of them. Uh, it's not just the mousers. It's it's uh, five mousers. Two of them are battle damaged, as well as splinter premutation and two turtles premutation. An opened can of ooze with some nice sculpted ooze coming out of it, or canister of ooze, sorry. Uh, what looks like a remote control for the mousers, and then two psi, uh, and a slice of pizza. I'm not saying this set isn't worth 55 bucks. Because the Mouser's pretty big. They look nice. It's great. You want to have all the baby turtles. But, I, I, again, I'm just conscious of what I'm spending on this line. And the value, for me, there's no attachment. I, I don't think I had any Mouser toys when I was a kid. Uh, so, again, this is not something I see as must-have. But, Ace Duck, Surfer Mikey, Slash, pre-ordered the second they went up. Had to have them. I think these look great. I love this line. This is the sixth wave. Uh, and I got to imagine they've got at least two more planned because now uh, we've got two turtles in alternate costumes. I've got to think Donatello in disguise and I guess spacesuit Raphael. I believe he was the other of the first costume turtles. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll be tempted by Spacesuit Raphael because that was another one I really liked, mostly because the removable helmet is just... Any any clear bubble removable helmet is cool in my book. Uh, so that's what's up with the TMNT Ultimates. Uh, and then finally, PowerCon happened. And let me pull up... And you know what I should have done? I should have just had all of this information ready. 
ahead of time, like all of my windows opened and everything. But, uh, you know, we're not all perfect, you guys. Uh, so I talked a little bit about PowerCon last week, but I just wanted to mention that I was able to order Sunman and Triclops no problem. And Triclops is here, like already delivered. And so wait, I've got Scareglow from San Diego Comic-Con. I've got Triclops from PowerCon. Sunman comes out next year. Oh, Sergeant Slaughter. That's the other thing I wanted to tell you guys about. Uh, I ordered two of the Ultimate Sergeant Slaughter figures. Those have finally shipped. Uh, or, or have had shipping labels printed for them. This is something that's bugging the heck out of me lately. And I get it. It's fine, really. But you'll get a notice, your item has been shipped. And you go and you look at the tracking and you see label has been printed for this item. And then it just sits there for like five days not being shipped. And I get it. These are massive orders these companies are having to deal with. They print up all the labels, and then they put the labels on the things, and then they have their pickup. Like, I understand, but it's really annoying to get the message that says, your item has been shipped, and then it just doesn't move for five days or a week or whatever. Uh, but anyway, the stuff is on the way. I'm excited. More stuff is coming out uh, for me tomorrow, for you guys today, uh, 9 a.m. We are getting, this is insane, Star Wars Black Series, Boba Fett, uh, as he appeared on the Droids cartoon, and three vintage collection Droids figures, Boba Fett, R2-D2, and C-3PO, with the, the gorgeous like animation-style coloring. They look like they looked on the Droids cartoon, but I will say this. Well, one, they're Target-exclusive, which is very disappointing. But two, I would almost prefer it if these were just the retro-style figures. I, I Because they're, they don't fit in my vintage collection shelf. I don't know exactly where they're going to go, but I have to have them. I'd, honestly, I would like to have two of each because I'd like to keep a, a set mint in box and I'd like to be able to open them up. Uh... Or at least the uh, the Black Series Fett's probably going to stay in the box. But the rest of them, I'd like to be able to open one and keep one in the on the card. Uh, but these are going to be so hard to get, I think, that I'll be very, very lucky to get even one of each, let alone two of each. But we'll see how it goes, and I'll update you next week. Uh, and that wraps up our news. All right, I wasn't even going to mention it because, gross, who wants to hear about this? But I feel like I'm speaking around like a potato in my mouth. I've got this large, painful canker sore on the side of my tongue. I've mentioned this before that I get these from time to time. I believe they're stress-related. Nobody really knows what causes them. And the cure or the treatment is basically, eh, it'll go away in a week or two. That's kind of it, but I feel like I have to address it because I'm, I, I feel like I'm not speaking like I normally speak. But I'll tell you what's going to make it feel better is a little Ace Pumpkin Cider. Si see, I can't even talk. Ace Pumpkin Cider, the best alcoholic beverage I've ever had. Ah, Ace. Uh, all right. So anyway, that uh, I laid down the news.
the last thing I got to get to before we dive into 1991 live from Dragon Con, check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. You guys, go subscribe, watch some videos, <clears throat> like some videos, share some videos. This week, uh, I did something special on Monday, an adventure with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles color form set that I found at Home Goods for $5. Uh, if I find any more color form sets of, of things I like, I will probably buy them. It was fun. I liked opening it up, and uh, the, the video got a little weird. So check that out. And then on Wednesday, it was Wednesday. You know what that means. Yes, it was a review of the new AEW Unmatched Dr. Britt Baker, the first ever Dr. Britt Baker action figure. Uh, I, I, I give you my real thoughts on it. And some of them are nice. Some of them are not so nice. You know how I roll. I go into everything wanting to love it. I go in with a positive attitude, uh, wanting it to be an awesome figure, wanting it to be the best thing ever. But I am honest about everything that I open. So, uh, you know, lots of glowing reviews. I'm not going to lie because I am kind of picky about what I buy. It's not like I'm going to buy something that I think is going to be a piece of junk. Uh, so you, you get a lot of good reviews from the Needless Things YouTube channel. But I am very honest when things don't quite live up to my expectations. So go check out that Dr. Britt Baker review. Uh, and next week... I have got two new G.I. Joe retro figures I'm reviewing and potentially two more reviews. So next week you may get reviews Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, whereas normally they're just Monday and Wednesday. But go check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Uh, it's just I have a lot of fun doing it. I want, uh, I want it to be a thing. I want it to be somewhere people can go to get honest but positive toy reviews because the the toy internet culture is so toxic people making videos like of stuff they don't even collect just to trash it uh just some really you know I, you guys know i'm never going to do anything just to get views if i knew how to get views uh well i, I know I, I know i could do the same kind of toxic stuff and probably generate some attention i don't want to do that i do this stuff because i love it uh not to be cynical about it. Uh, but I will be very cynical about like social media and stuff because that's all horrible. Anyway, that's enough of that. You guys are here to hear some partying people having a blast talking about 1991 in front of a live audience at Dragon Con. So grab your nearest pumpkin cider or glass of water, glass of soda, whatever it is you like to pour down your gullet while you listen to nerds talk about nerd stuff. And have a blast. I hope you guys enjoy it. Anyway, so we're here to talk about 1991, so I will pass this over to our lovely host. Uh, everybody, welcome to Needless Things Presents 1991. We're gonna, we do flashback panels. We like to take a look uh, about 30 years into the past 
uh, and just talk about the pop culture that was going on at the time. And before we get into that, obviously, I need to introduce these panelists. Uh, to the far left, of course, you know him, you love him, Gary Mitchell, co-director of the Sci-Fi Classics track. Uh, next to him, well, you guys introduce yourselves. I don't, uh, don't want to steal the spotlight from you. Share your lovely voice and tell us what you do. Hello, I am uh, Nicole Gulkadaver, that's my stage name. Um, I am a part of the Needless Commentary team. Um, I also uh, run a podcast called Caught Dead Watching that's been in hiatus because of the world has been insane for a couple years, but uh, you should check it out. It's very not family friendly, so it's very different. It's from. not a 1 p.m. podcast. No, no. no it's a no, midnight it podcast. Um, but that might still be too early. <laughs> it's probably always too early for it, but um, where I talk about um, kind of the, the best of the worst, and I mean like the worst, the worst movies. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, I'm Oz Dillman. Um, I don't do a whole lot of this. <laughs> I just hang out and drink with these guys mostly, but uh, they they made me get up here. So and you build things. Somebody, yeah, I do build things. I I, I and work they for usually somebody. work. Sometimes. What? They usually <laughs> work. They always work. <laughs> no, I, I I work for a company. I, we do uh, interactive museum displays and uh, escape rooms. I've installed escape rooms all over the country. It's not. I mean, I love the work, but it's like I. I installed an escape room in Honolulu, and people are like, "Oh, you got to go to Hawaii. Great." It's like I don't know if Hawaii has a beach. <laughs> like I was working 14 hour days so yeah. but uh, yeah it's, it's a cool job I love it I get to make stuff uh, Dave West uh, Needless Things podcast and anything that I can get my hands on a microphone I do uh, Mike Mosley I'm a cosplayer and costume designer and uh, yeah we'll live in there <laughs> Hi, I'm Beth Van Dusen. I'm also with Needless Things Podcast, and I also host a co-host a podcast called Execute Chapter 66, where we talk about Star Wars books. You guys are so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what we do is we do kind of a, we go around and somebody will talk about something that they love from 1991. And then we'll discuss it a little bit and go on to the next person. And, and at some point, like I said, it's going to be a little different this year with the audience because usually I like to grab a mic, run out to the audience, and get your input as well. I don't know how we'll do that, but as we go through the panel, we'll sort of figure that one out. Uh, but why don't we start... Beth, you've done this before. Do you want to kick us off? Why not? And, st- and probably steal one of my picks? I don't know. Uh, oh. I've, I've made a huge list because I knew there would be a bunch of us. I think I'm going to start with an awesome movie called Career Opportunities. Nice. Uh, Frank Whaley and Jennifer Connelly are trapped in a, what is it, a Target? Yes. Together overnight? Yes. Yes, it is fantastic. It made me fall in love with Frank Whaley. I already knew Jennifer Connelly from Labyrinth. I know that the guys like her generally. Uh, (laughs) And I get it. She's gorgeous. It's just a, it's not a good movie, but it's so much fun. It's a fun movie. It's, it's absolutely idea. fun. Yeah, most people know the lead from, uh, hey, check out the big brain on Brad. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. He was also in a great movie called Swimming with Sharks, if you haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah. That's excellent as well. That's, I feel like that might have been the first thing I really, like, I'd seen him in stuff before, but then in that, it was like, oh, this guy is like a powerhouse. He's awesome. 
it was his chance to be a, a leading man in a romantic comedy, and I think he did well. He just didn't uh, didn't do well. The movie did not do well enough for it to be a career-making move for him. But it's a really fun movie. If you like the song Tone, uh, Go from Tones on Tail, you will hear it a lot. Because <laughs> they do a whole, what is it, a roller skating scene where they play that song a lot? It's, it's just a fun movie, and if you haven't watched it, you should definitely check it out. I remember the movie existing. I've not seen it because romantic comedy, not necessarily my wheelhouse. But uh, I, I guess it's kind of sad that it turned out to not actually be a career opportunity. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm generally not the romance person, shockingly. But uh, <laughs> but it's fun. It's probably the funnest thing on my list. All right. Well, I'm gonna jump in with the next one because there's one that I, I don't think anybody else is going to have it and I've got to throw it out there uh, in my personal opinion Anthrax is the greatest metal band of all time uh, and in 1991 they released a compilation called Attack of the Killer Bees yes. that was the first CD that I bought because my dad was super duper technology forward so we had like, as soon as CD players were available, we had a CD player, like, the size of this <laughs> that the hatch opened on the top. Like, you pressed a giant button. It was almost like an old tape recorder. It was, it was ridiculous. So he was into that. And he kept telling me, like, why are you still buying cassettes? These CDs, the quality of the sound is so much Blame better. the future. Yeah. So this was the first CD that I bought, which I'm sure thrilled him that I'm <laughs> buying this Anthrax CD. But anyway... Uh, there's a track on that called Bring the Noise, which is probably Anthrax's biggest best-known song. Uh, it is a cover of a Public Enemy song of the same name. And when I was in 1991, it was rap, metal, and Weird Al. That was like it for me. There, there was nothing else. So for Public Enemy, who were like... Like, I love Public Enemy, but they were almost too cool for me. Like, they were, they were serious. Like, I loved Run DMC. I loved the Beastie Boys. I like, uh, you know, all your standard sort of issue, late 80s hip-hop and rap. But Public Enemy was like something else. I, I wasn't cognizant enough to understand, like, all the messages and everything. But I knew that I was, it was almost, this music is almost too important for me. Uh... But then for Anthrax and Public Enemy to do this track together, which I did not realize until I started looking this up, uh, Chuck D's verses in this version are just taken from the original. He didn't actually come in and do this song with Anthrax. I never realized that. But they did get together for the music video, uh, which is... One of the funniest, most 90s-looking things you've ever seen. So when, when this is over, please do yourself a favor and look up the video for Bring the Noise. It's, it's Anthrax and Public Enemy on stage. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like they set it up like it's a concert. And at the time, young me, I, I thought that was going to happen because I still kind of didn't understand, oh, they just staged things like this for music videos. Like... This, this show isn't necessarily going to happen, but then it did. Anthrax and Public Enemy, and you got to understand, this is 1991. There, there's no, like, Limp Biscuit at this point. There's no, like, rap rock. That's not a thing. This was unheard of. Aerosmith and Run DMC 
did it obviously years before, but that was kind of, you know, that happened and went away. This one song, this one collaboration turned into a massive tour that brought two cultures that, like I said, I listened to rap and metal, but we're talking about two cultures that did not mix back then at all. And it was Anthrax, Public Enemy, Young Black Teenagers, and then Prong or Primus, depending on where the show was. And and just this this that never happened. Nothing like this ever happened. And to come out of this one song, which, by the way, is a killer song, too. It's not like this was some little uh, sort of oh, let's just sort of do what we can with this. Like, Scott Ian loves Public Enemy. He loves hip-hop. He, the, Scott Ian wearing a Cypress Hill shirt is how I heard about Cypress Hill. Like, their, before, their, like their first album came out. And it was a different kind of hip-hop. So, I, the, this was just huge. This is, a, to me, a momentous time in pop culture. Can I, song. I think a lot of people who weren't around at the time don't realize in today's Spotify culture where there really isn't that mm-hmm. music genre bar anymore. Back in the day, you were a metalhead and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you were a country guy. Or you were a rap person. You, there mm-hmm. was no co-mingling. I yeah. remember when this, album, when this dropped, a friend of mine who was one of those weirdos who would listen to other music, this is how he got me into Public Enemy and rap and actually listening to it instead of just dismissing it out of hand, well, it's not metal. Back in the day, music wasn't nearly as accessible. I mean, you know, so we pretty much had MTV was how we knew about music that was outside of our normal genre, like stuff that, you know, our friends at school were listening to and things like that. Um, but, like, I remember, like, taping the video off of MTV. Yeah. It was and a big premiere too. It, it was a big deal. I can't yeah, remember like, if it was on. Hit, I, 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 I almost want to say about rap was because of UMTV raps and like. And that's I almost want to say it had some kind of double premiere where it was on Headbangers Ball and UMTV raps, but that that may not be accurate. Sounds, Michael, you were gonna say yeah. something. Well, I was gonna actually uh, kind of pivot for a second, but because you're talking about music, and I think at this the same point that this was happening was also a renovation in rap and the culture. Uh, because this is the same time period we get MC Hammer, right? Yes. Yeah. We get yeah. MC Hammer. And so right. he took what the the rockers were already doing in the 80s, this glam, this big, this over-the-top, and he brought it to the rap community, really brought it to the forefront of it. And he kind of, in a sense, really reinvented what it was like to be a quote-unquote rapper, right? Uh, and for lack of a better term, he lightened the mood of it. Yes. You know? He, he, um, he popped it up. He popped well, it up, yeah. absolutely. Right. The, the early 90s were the major divergence of hip-hop because you had, you know, your, your Run DMCs and your Public Enemies that had been around, but then you also had, as you said, Hammer bringing it to pop music. Yes. But then also Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, mm-hmm. groups like that. So, like, all of this is happening in the early 90s, and then in 1993, and we're not going to get into it because that's not what we're here for today, but if you look up the year 1993 in hip-hop, it's unbelievable what the genre became at that point. And, and, you know, this this was part of that growth and that burgeoning interest uh, that kind of changed everything because this opened up doors. Did you, did you get to see the tour? Did you? No, I, I, no, I didn't get to see the tour because right. my my parents were definitely not going to okay right. me going to that show. No, I didn't. See it. I, have, I have seen Public Enemy. I think I told you. I've yeah, yeah, Public yeah. Enemy. Digital Underground opened up for him. I know. Oh, I know. Oh, oh, man. It was it was fantastic. I got I got to tell this real quick story. 
It's Charleston, South Carolina, right? And this <laughs> rapper is going to play King Street Palace. So there were cops everywhere, like riot shotguns and just everything. I had this Datsun F10 station wagon that I could make backfire. So it was like, boom, pow. So we're going past the King Street Palace, and I do that. Boom! Cops just freaked. They're just like, I mean, it, it was, yeah, but I mean, we thought it was funny, but. <laughs> they apparently didn't. They didn't know it was me, though, either. They didn't know it was me. the white people. Yeah, I know. I know. But it was a fantastic show. Think about also too in the, the early '90s how much of the the music genre and the images of the um, the artists were starting to be translated over to the cartoons that we're seeing. Uh, again, using that example like Powerline, right? And being yes. able to pull the inspiration, you can directly yeah, right, see right. the MC Hammer yeah. know, pulls for that. But and just in general, and it's, it feels like in the '90s, parents who once chastised this music then began to accept it because it was being put forward in different ways more more, more palatable power. to absolutely. them absolutely yeah. so absolutely yeah. so now yeah. you're they're more okay with you listening to this because they see it as this cartoon dog-like dancing creature you know yep. so and and that's why i've i always am interested to see like i'll never poo-poo anything for being made more accessible to the public because that's how the public gets brought into different things like that's how we change and evolve and like so if, if you want to if you're like the hardest metal band in the world but somebody wants to base like a cartoon on you do it because guess what you're going to be just exposing more people to this thing that you supposedly love right and don't we all want everybody to like love you know the the stuff that we love that's why we're here this weekend isn't that what uh, what uh, Seth Rollins said? You didn't sell out, you buy in. Yeah, so buying, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right. So anyway, that was my extremely long-winded pick. But I'm very passionate about that song. That one <laughs> song from 1991. I'm getting that solid. Uh, Oz, you got anything? Yeah. Um, I I'm just recently watched with her um, the other day. Um, Nothing but trouble. Mm. Which was it? I hadn't seen it in forever. Um, I mean, it totally holds up. You get you get uh, Demi Moore at, at her probably her hottest. Oh yeah. Um, Dan Aykroyd's fantastic in it. You get John Candy in drag. <laughs> and uh, just John Candy. I mean, it's uh, it's always a delight to to see John Candy. Oh, absolutely. And and I think one one of my favorite things is because of what I do. I'm a set and prop designer. Is is the set like the the uh, the roller coaster of death, right? And, and all I just Mr. Bone everything when they're going. Mr. Bone Stripper. stripper. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Stripper. Yeah. Right, right, right. Which which by the way, damn Yankees did a song called Mr. Bone Stripper for that movie. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, and right. they play it when they send the people through it. Yeah. Yeah. When they're on the coaster, it is there. <laughs> um, but it's just uh, it's just a great movie. I mean, I I. Um, I don't know. I couldn't say much. And it's that. an intensely maligned movie. Like it's got one of the lowest uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, oh, people hated it. Ever. Yeah, right. This is the junkyard judge guy. I don't understand it. Okay, yes, so, yes, yes, yes. It's uh. not, you know. I mean, it's not going to change your life. But it's a fun movie. It's bizarre. It's creative. Great, yeah. The sets are amazing. The stories. 
interesting. Um, I mean, it's fun. It's what it needs to be story-wise. Because yeah. we're, I, I mean, why it's so intensely hated. You're there to see the incredible sets, the wacky characters, and these comic geniuses yeah. just vamping it up. It's I, wonderful. I have it on DVD. I've had it on DVD since like. It's got a special edition coming out from Shout, I think. Yeah, it does. It, that, that was announced because we uh, we do a 1991 episode of the podcast as well, uh, where we'll have different people on and we'll talk about different things from 1991. But nothing but trouble did come up on that one. And shortly after that was released, Shout Factory announced they're doing a special edition. What a coincidence, right? Yeah. You got the needless bumps. Is it not? Yeah. yeah, I actually have the DVD from like whenever, like the late 90s when it first came out, like the cardboard one. Oh yeah, the old lap, the old yeah. Warner Brothers yeah. case with the flap. Ugh. Is it? And you guys fact check me if I'm if I'm wrong with this. Isn't that also the birth of Tupac? Because isn't he in the? He's in the That's his yeah, first that song. Like, uh, that's his first. I think that's his first solo verse. Yeah. To bring it back to Digital Underground, which we will be doing. All day today. Yes. yes. Come out. And tonight. Come out the, to the uh, big damn show. game show at 10 p.m. Yeah. in the Hilton Crystal Ballroom. Uh, but yeah, I, I freaking love that movie. Yeah. I loved it when it came out because it was right up my goofy alley. Like I, I Don't just. Don't talk about your goofy alley. It's family friendly. <laughs> 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 I loved. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we all we all loved. Uh, Dan Aykroyd at the yes. time. I mean, yeah. the anybody involved with Ghostbusters, yeah. which, which honestly, you know, Aykroyd's success with that is is, and I can't remember who told me this. It might have been Noel. Uh, he he was saying that you know this was Aykroyd's vanity project, mm-hmm. and because of the pull he had in Hollywood at that time. They basically let him make this insane movie that never really should have been made because yeah, it's just like too much. He directed it, but also, yeah. Also, studios were looking for the next Beetlejuice. Yes, is is part of the reason this thing got made. So if if you have not seen Nothing But Trouble, you need to see it. It's really good. I it, need it to is. watch it again because all my memories were watching it when it came out and hating it. It's wonderful. I, it, look, I understand. It, it's no. not. Go back and just like let it wash over you. That's, that's the room with Dan Aykroyd the old man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's the judge. Yeah, he's the judge yeah. of Falconvania and uh, Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. And the hot dog uh, condiment train. Yeah. Yes. If anybody Two big babies. That, it's yeah. Yeah. Very very strange movie, but it's it's fantastic. bizarre. It's really good though. I absolutely love it, and I don't understand why it's so hated. Uh, all right. Oh, does that make it me? Well, actually, I was oh, gonna no, jump sorry. over to Michael next, but okay. Uh, I uh, I like the like to think that '91 was the also a renovation in sports, and this sounds really crazy when I talk about sports and pop culture, but <laughs> it's when we took uh, basketball and made it a household name by using people like Michael Jordan. That was 1991. Was the yeah. first the first championship, right? That was the beginning. That was uh, Phil Jackson taking this team in the beginning of the infamous three P, right? So right. you take. Sports was typically separated, and usually it was, oh, we're just the masculine guys over here watching sports, right? And they took this this person, Michael Jordan, and they made him a household name in a way that everyone recognized him, right? And I think that that was one of the first real blurrings of the sports world and the 
pop world. I mean, don't get me wrong, we had a fantastic cartoon that came out of that as well with uh, him, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, oh yeah, my right. gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, absolutely. It was Saturday Morning Whoa. All-Stars, right? Is this yeah. 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 So, um, but really what it did is it, it took the, the, the sports and they, they made it a way where, again, as we're talking about really in the early 90s in general, they blurred the lines between so many things. And made it so that, so that a group of people who never would have watched these things are now all of a sudden invested in it. You don't have to like basketball, but you knew who Michael Jordan was. Right, and 1991 right. was the reason that happened. When he was MVP that year, that's when things changed. That's a very interesting point because I'm not, I'm not aside from wrestling, I'm not a sports guy at all. But in 91, and I couldn't have pegged it to that year, but in the 90s, I thought Michael Jordan was one of the coolest people on the planet. Yeah. I didn't know anything about Michael Jordan. I didn't watch <laughs> basketball, nothing, but because of the marketing and because of the recognition that pop culture could be used, to put it cynically, uh, to get more eyeballs on things, they, they made that same connection right. that we can, we can make a lot of money with this guy. Uh, in, uh, in 1991, I couldn't have told you the name of one football player, but I absolutely knew who Michael Jordan was. Right. Yeah, he was a megastar. He he yeah. was you know he was up there with any any Hollywood celebrity or or anybody else. And that's interesting. I wonder how much that changed the game of basketball as well. Oh, absolutely. Because once once you have that kind of attention, once you get the public's eyeballs on things, well, then how do you evolve from there, and how do you try to perpetuate? that celebrity like how do you keep like what's the succession been since then you know well if you think about it, right so pre-michael jordan uh when you're playing basketball you went and got basketball shoes post michael jordan you don't get basketball shorts you get shoes you get jordans yeah 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 you see what i'm saying that's wild um you were a player fan now it's like i love lebron i love kobe right exactly yes absolutely and and figuring out ways that they have transcended though i mean Granted, this isn't the 91, but hopefully it'll help make sense. Look at someone like Dennis Rodman, who went from basketball to wrestling to BFS with North Korea. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But if it wasn't for the success of thing, of Michael Jordan right. being able to transcend basketball, what he has done, what LeBron has done, um, what Allen Iverson has done, all these guys would not be at that level or even existing at that uh, this uh, caliber if this guy wasn't able to to make that move and be something more than just a basketball player. Well, and yeah. if Jordan hadn't achieved the status that he had, Rodman probably wouldn't have been given the opportunity to be as crazy as he was, but they recognized, like, oh, we've got another celebrity here. But, but pre-Jordan, it might have just been... You need to calm down. This is basketball, oh, not a clown show. Which I'm sure he got a lot of anyway. Well, he because he came from the Pistons, right? Yeah. My friend. Yeah. So when he, when he was in the Pistons, he was just they just downplayed very normal. Wasn't allowed to be the worm. He wasn't allowed to be Dennis Rodman. Okay. But then he gets to the Bulls, and you know he's surrounded with him, Scottie Pippen, Kuko Kerr. I mean, this this all star team around him, uh, and everyone was encouraging uh, Phil Jackson, encouraging them to be themselves. You know, be right, dynamic. Right. Hence why he married himself eventually. But, <laughs> Nicole. Okay. What you got? Um, mine, um, I'm kind of the horror person, so I'm going to go with a little movie called The People Under the Stairs. Yes. Great movie. By 
Um, Great movie. So I, mean, I don't know if you've heard of him, some guy named Wes Craven. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's uh, it it doesn't nearly get as much attention as uh, a lot of the other Wes Craven movies, but um, People Under the Stairs is it's just it's bonkers. Um, you know, it's about a kid who kind of breaks into a house and discovers that these these insane people are keeping all these children um, locked up and they've, you know, cut out their tongues and um, it's it's actually, it's a really lighthearted take on a very dark concept. And I say lighthearted, it's because it's kind of a silly movie, but... But it is, I mean, it's, it yeah. uses, because it, it is, if you, if somebody else had made this movie, it could have been like, the bummer of the like requiem yeah. for a dream yes. depressing yeah. right right but because it was west craven and he had such a talent for injecting sort of satire and humor into his subject matter it, and again, it's not making it palatable i think yeah. that seems to yeah. be a running yeah. theme yeah yeah right. um it, it's uh it is absolutely like a wacky movie but yeah when when you break it down to its core it's extremely dark <laughs> and actually apparently it was inspired by uh, a news story that Wes Craven had read about a couple of guys that broke into a house and found that parents had two children like locked away from the world and were being like horribly abused and yada yada yada. So that uh, idea was was what gave birth to the people on the stairs. Um, I love uh, Sean Whalen um, is the guy that plays Roach in it. Um, he is. It kind of gave birth to his career. He's a character actor, um, super duper nice guy, but he's amazing in that movie. He's like a really unique look, you know. So he's like that guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love it. It's it's absolutely. It's a wonderful social commentary. It works as horror. Very much. I haven't seen mm -hmm. it forever either. I need to watch it. Really rewatch good. it. It's yeah. it's great. Um, it's just a, it's a really really great movie and it's it's a movie that i love the kind of movie that escalates really well mm -hmm. where it, it takes you by surprise with how weird it gets and this movie at every turn just keeps getting weirder and weirder as it goes along and you see it through the uh the point of view of a, of a kid who's gone in to rob this house and, and he's just like and he's amazing, by the yeah. way. I don't know the actor's name, I don't, I don't but remember. but for such a yeah, young actor, he yeah. carries this film yeah. so well. Uh, and then the the well, they're not mom and dad; they're like a brother and sister. The adults. I have my notes in here, but I can't unlock my phone because I don't have a face. Um, <laughs> but uh, they are are it's so like maniacal and insane. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's a wonderful. Yeah, I think I would play a lot of weirdo dads. <laughs> yeah, and there's a reason, you know, like he because he he pulled it off very well. It's what happens when you're too good at something, you get typecast, yeah. and you're stuck being leather daddy for the rest of your career. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new cosplay moniker. <laughs> Dude, you you should do his suit from that movie. That would be awesome. Yeah, everybody. Not everybody would get it, but, but the, the people who did they would, would love you. Um, all right, let's see. 
know. Well, any more thoughts about people under the stairs? I feel like we really didn't discuss enough, but it's it's such a I unique seen thing. It so long, I do need to go back and watch it. Yeah, go back and watch it. I remember it. liking it when I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those that no, I haven't thought forever, about again. Yeah. And and you're right. It is one of Craven's. You because know, when you look at the career of Wes Craven, you've got Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. And you can talk about those for days on end, but then there's, there's all so of these other more. movies that he did. Well, yes, there is. Is one of the most disturbing. Yeah. No, uh, no, Music of the Heart. Oh, Music of the Heart. That's music of the Heart. Yeah, which, I, I uh, didn't see that one. If you haven't seen that Wes Craven movie, uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he he has, uh, you know, again, Last House on the Left, uh, Hills Have Eyes, Hills have People eyes. Under the oh. Stairs. There's so many others that... Deadly Friend. Yes. Oh, Deadly which Friend is, is amazing! Getting, which is finally getting a really good release. When she kills the um, Mama Fratelli with the basketball. Yes. Every release of Deadly Friend is a really good release. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. So yeah, Delvin... Hold on, wait, back up. Let's talk about this movie. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? Deadly Friend? What? Deadly you friend. Seen it? No. He gets not, killed with the basketball. Yeah. So, what? Dead, so really, like, really. Okay. And, and again, it's been a minute since I've seen it, but it, she's a like a android. Well, quick, uh -huh. quick recap of Deadly Friend. Uh, a boy builds a robot. His best friend, who is a girl, dies. So he puts the robot in the girl and brings her back to life as his what? deadly friend. Yes. What? And because she's a robot, she goes wrong and yes. kills people. She right. malfunctions, and huh. in one scene, like humans. you know, the the woman that plays Mama Fratelli. Uh, I, Throw Mama from the I, train. I know she actually has a name, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Her name is Mama Fratelli. Yeah. Um, so she's like the horrible old lady neighbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's being a real jerk to the deadly friend girl. And um, she takes a basketball, and because she's a robot, she throws it at her head. And her head explodes. It turns into a pink mist. It's, it's and a Gallagher show. What's so, I need yeah. this movie. What's so great about this movie is tonally... It's like a Nickelodeon after-school movie. Yeah. But it has... And then it has exploding heads. Yes. It's gory and violent and awful. I mean, <laughs> awful as in horrible things are happening. I wish you could see my face under this. <laughs> <laughs> you have not seen this movie. You deserve it. Well, they yeah, 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 yeah. it's streaming right now, so definitely. Yeah, it, it might be I on, it 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 on Shudder. In the corner? So would that be necrophilia or robophilia? Robo-necro. Yes. Oh, God. Wow. Far be it for me to king shame, but wow. <laughs> All right. I thought this was a family oh, show. Oh, darn it. We got, to, uh, we got to move on, even though we can sit and talk about Deadly Friend. We need to do a Deadly Friend screening next year, I think. Yeah. I'm in. Uh, Gary, what have you brought to us today? Well, I'm actually going to keep the horror train rolling because I was torn between two movies as my first pick. Okay. I think I am. Because I have to tell the story of the setup for this. I was really desperate to see this movie when it came out, but I was young and stupid, and I was stayed up like way too late. And I was like, well, the first show is 11 a.m. It's 2 a.m. I'll just stay up. <laughs> so I stayed up for 24 hours, took the bus to the movie theater listening to Persistence of Time to stay awake, and saw Silence of the Lambs <laughs> being up for 24 hours straight. <laughs> and that messed with my head. <laughs> and I, I, went, I was up for like another eight hours. But, and then I went back the next week and saw it again, and then the week after that I went and saw it again. That movie is just 
a masterpiece. Yeah. There isn't a bad frame in the movie. Anthony Hopkins gets an Academy Award for what, eight minutes of performance? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's astounding the way he does the role. But to be in such a small amount of time of the movie, mm -hmm. um, he is absolutely what you think of when you think of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, because yeah, right. even if the camera's not pointed at him, you're thinking about it yeah. or they're talking about him. Yeah. And the way Jonathan Dem filmed it and with the tight shots in on everybody's faces, which you don't get a lot of in the movies, where he really got you into these characters. Uh, Jodie Foster's Clarice is just a phenomenal mm -hmm. character. Scott Glenn as the head FBI guy is just, he just exudes that mentor father figure. There are so many little scenes like when they go to the the hick town and she's like uh, basically is dismissed and she calls him out on it in the car and he's like I get the feeling you're upset and she's like you're making me look lesser um, just but it's it's all about Hopkins I think mm -hmm. that is one of the greatest escapes in movies yes and you get he get when he sits up in the ambulance and you go yes and then you go Wait, I'm just cheering the stink of a cannibalistic serial, uh -huh, yeah. serial killer, and I'm happy about this? Wait a minute. But, you know, it's, it says something about the character, because the character is supposed to be a guy who is so charismatic, that mm -hmm. that is how he uh, is able to kind of lure in his victims. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. so, you know, you immediately buy into that, like, um, I, I even though I know this guy's probably going to eat my face, I, I want to see him succeed, because he's just that, he has that... I would go to one of his not. dinner parties. Yeah, absolutely. I'll like, take my chances. Maybe we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and it also, it blurred a, a lot or crossed a lot of lines with mm -hmm. horror because yes. horror has always been its own thing. Horror has never, uh, or it is starting to, but, um, you know, as far as being respected yes. in, in film, um, you know, it's always been kind of a throwaway or like that's where you get your start, but then, you know, you move on to real movies and mm -hmm. things like that. And when the Silence of the Lambs came out, it, you know, it really like brought people to horror and how, um, you know, a, a frightening movie can be such a masterpiece. I mean, I and I remember so, so many reviewers trying to go, well, it's not really a horror movie; it's a thriller. It's this, no, this is a horror movie. It's about a cannibal. Yeah. You know? It's about a cannibal, and it's also about a person who is going to skin another yes. person and exactly. wear their skin as their suit. I know. Right. Can we take a moment to talk about, you know, obviously, like, and it's been uh, parodied, you know, for the last 30 years, but the Buffalo Bill scene of, yeah. the, you know... Um, well, and that's yeah, another thing... I'd reenact it, but it's a family horses, show. You know? yeah. That's yeah. another instance where we have to go back to the context of 1991 where you know now we have a dozen different silence of the lambs spin-offs and remakes mm -hmm. and whatever else uh prior to silence of the lambs manhunter had come out but yes. not had, hadn't really yeah. you know made any waves but silence of the lambs which i seem to remember being marketed as is really more of a not a drama but it was not marketed in any way as a horror movie no. and then to more sit and watch that movie and how graphic and dark it got, and how horrifying it was. Because honestly, uh, you know, the escape scene is is graphic. But the yes. shot when yeah. she's in the pit—that's yeah. the one. Yes. Yeah. When she's in the when pit, you see that the realization, her, and then the camera is looking up. 
is the realization of the situation that she is in that she is completely under the control of this twisted insane person is is the that's horror it's there there's no blood but but that's horror do you think that uh this movie was so iconic because it's one of the first times where we're actually going in depth into the mind of the serial killers. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, like you said, we're also rooting for them because whilst he's not the main villain, we're still listening to him. And, you know, he has the, the idea of what the movie is about is all about him, right? Yeah. For yeah. those eight minutes. Um, but we're, we're getting to see and kind of understand why he takes it. We're understanding how he's also manipulating Clarice uh, as, you know, is going on. We're, you know, watching it and him asking the questions and things of that nature. So for a quick minute, we're put into the mind of the serial killer. And we're, in a sense, going, hey, it's not so bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's the moment when they're having that final conversation mm-hmm. where he's really getting to her and pushing her because you know she's on a time limit she mm-hmm. knows she's not supposed to be there and when she finally breaks down the, about the why about the screaming of the lambs and you see it when he closes his eyes as he finally gets that piece of information and puts everything together and he just gets that moment of satisfaction mm-hmm. yeah and you really understand him and there's that connection which is why there are a lot of people who ship the two of them <laughs> which that's a whole other um, but that moment of his, mm-hmm. that is why he won an Oscar right. that yeah. moment right there and then the opening his eyes of oh look who's here Clarice bye yeah yeah <laughs> wow he's incredible what a great um, movie yeah, it is, is and there was nothing like it at the time there's still really nothing like it no no not at all yeah, um, and it swept the Oscars which horror yeah. movies almost never do yeah. yeah yeah I think it was the first horror movie to win uh I don't know if it's the first to win this picture, but it's one of like a handful. If it yeah, wasn't. it's it's very unusual. Um, so it really kind of broke barriers and and um, you know especially about horror, but it, it's yeah. incredible. And everybody, we always talk about Hannibal Lecter because he's such an incredible character. But yeah, there's so much more to the movie. I mean, think about that last scene where Jodie Foster is going through the house in the dark. Yes. Yeah. And being pursued. Right. I mean, is there a more tense? seen in cinema mm. uh, I, I mean it's, it's well, and especially because we got the setup earlier in the movie when she died in her training because she did in chapter 6 yeah mm-hmm. oh, right, right. so it yeah. plants that seed in your head of oh my god she's going to get mm. and you just it's so scary because I'm sorry like I don't care if you're an adult whatever everyone is a little bit afraid of the dark every human being yeah, absolutely. we are afraid of the dark the because yeah. you know we, we're, we're visually like attuned people whatever so it's it's very scary just to think that there's a bad guy right behind you in the dark, uh, and it just gets to that primal fear within all of us. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's so incredibly effective. Yeah. I think I think one flew over the cuckoo's nest is as close as you get. That's definitely not horror, but the kind of psycho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unsettling. But yeah. Right, right. Not a horror movie like that. Yeah. Have you seen? Uh, this is more uh, maybe early 2000s it's called Taken uh, Taking Lives with Angelina Jolie oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yes oh, but it's yeah. been a minute yeah that, that kind of gives me that same vibe but obviously yeah, not on the same is, level I think same what vibe. led to the current serial culture, killer culture we've right. got now where we have all the podcasts yeah and, yeah. yeah right right well, yeah. That, that's round zero he was yeah. one of our first like hero uh, 
pillars. Well, much you know. much like Michael Jordan, Hannibal Lecter <laughs> is a pop culture yeah. icon. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah, that, that weird mask he came has become iconic. It's oh, yeah, you can go to Walmart yeah. and buy that mask. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't it's the <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right, let's bring it back down to the other end. Uh, Beth, what is your second pick for 1991? Uh, okay, I I don't know if this is going to be up everybody's alley, but I do feel like I need to talk about it because it was important to me at the time. Um, I was very into goth for a long time in the late 80s and into the early 90s and kind of now still, but <laughs> I was also a really big U2 fan. Mm. And I know that they're, they're, they need to hang it up. They've gone way wrong. But in 1991, they came out with Octone Baby, and that was an important album for them and for pop culture. They had been a very, very serious band up until then. Kind of too serious. So for them to go away for a little while and come back with this flashy, shiny persona was just crazy. And even though you're probably sick of every single song on that album by now, at the time they were so different and so new and exciting that I just wore that album out. I'm not proud of it. It wasn't my best moment, but I was so insistent that I get to see them. The concert was sold out, and all they had left were disabled seats. Or, or injured seats, things like that. They were not even close to sold out. I did not steal a seat from someone in need. <laughs> my, True confessions with Beth. My right. friend's mother was a nurse, and we rented a wheelchair, and she put a fake cast on my leg for the night so that we could get in to see you two. Wow. wow. But I was young. We've none none of us are innocents. We've all done. We all grow as people. Yes, we've all done terrible things. <laughs> but that's the dedication that I held to seeing that that concert. Wow, I'm cosplaying to be a terrible a person. <laughs> I'm putting a fake cast on my ass. I'm going to see you two. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> I'm not that there you go. It's true. Bono Bono is disappointed in you. And that's okay. He's disappointed in all of this, really. Well, I think that's probably actually that's the literal truth, I I think. Bono is disappointed in all of us. Yes, in the back corner. Until the end of the world probably would be my favorite song on that album. It it was one that didn't get a lot of radio play, so it wasn't worn out as much and as easily and as you might remember, back then we didn't have much choice besides listening to the radio if we were in a car. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's a good one too. What was the was Mysterious Ways? Yes, the that was, first big single. Yes. Well, okay. The Fly was was a, a hit, but not as big a hit. Mysterious Ways was the one that you couldn't escape. So I loathed you too. Uh, not a fan. Just not my kind of music. <laughs> But that video came out, and I was like, what is this? This is cool. I like this. Only U2 album I've ever bought. Hmm. Wow. Because I liked that, that Mysterious Ways just got me. I liked it that much. And if I remember right, they kind of kept that sound for a while because they did uh, the hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me for Batman Forever. Right, right. So that and that was like four years later. So they they kept being a, a fun rock band 
for a while after that. What a what a year of change 1991 was for oh, yeah. so many things. Oh yes, okay. I haven't thought about that movie in ages. I don't know. I'm not sure. If only we had a way for somebody to look that up. Right. <laughs> I don't have great reception down here, but... Well, Beth, while you are looking into that, uh, anybody else, like... Uh, obviously, that was huge at the time, because uh, we've, we've mentioned it before. MTV and the radio were how we found music, and everybody, to an extent... Well, and also, you had, like, just daytime talk shows and stuff. Like, we were all watching and taking in the same pop culture back then. And I think that's one advantage that that era has is we were all kind of on the same wavelength because that's just what it was. Like my mom knew who U2 was. Right. I and and she would have been right around my age at this point. And now I couldn't really tell you like who the big bands are or who the kids are listening to. Like I really don't know because there's the the shared there's so many different mediums now there's so many different yeah. ways to take things in we're we're kind of splintered in that way and while it's great that everybody can more people can produce things and everybody can access the stuff that they're interested in at the same time we've lost a little bit of that cultural connection right because we all kind of just go off and do whatever we want right and there's not that shared awareness we used to have but anyway and you Beth, are correct that movie came out in 91 all right uh, let's see here. Oz, have you got another one for us? Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't seen it in a while, so I won't be able to, like, we'll have to all discuss about it, but, um, you gotta love Hot Shots. Oh, yes, yeah. you do. You gotta love Hot Shots. I mean, Topper Harvey, yeah, right? Yeah. Charlie Sheen, Lloyd Bridges. I mean, it's just, it's just that, it's that, you know, it's that genre movie, like, Airplane and, and all that. It's just, it's just fantastic. It's just fun. It's just stupid fun. You know, it's yeah. Like parodies have since been done to death. Well, nobody ever did them as well as the Zucker Brothers. Right? No, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that's just a yeah. fact. Right. Yeah. And that you know, I I absolutely loved Hot Shots, um, and I love like Airplane. Um, I have since kind of like taken an opposite stance on parody films because you know, especially after like Scary Movie and stuff like that, well, it, it was just like it was a dead horse that just kept getting beaten. Well, it stopped being... Right. Hot Shots is very insightful. Both It, it, it does parody hot, um, Top Gun, Gun yeah. right. but it also managed to hit all the other big patriotic military films. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, Whereas yeah. Mm -hmm. parody movies now are pretty much a, hey, see the Scream reference? Did you catch the Scream yeah. reference? We're making fun of Scream. Mm. And there's no joke there. It's yeah, but there's also a generational thing yeah. because I think you'll find people around 10-ish years younger than us love like scary movie and the the because scary movie kicked off a new yeah, wave of movie, parody movies right right going beyond that and I'm and i do think there's there are things like we've talked about this kind of thing before where like jurassic park and lion king mean everything to people who are 35 ish mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. where to me like they're great yeah. But they didn't. They didn't hit me because oh, I was just outside of that. Jurassic Park did for me, though. Yeah, that's good. And I'm really old. Yeah. Let me, that's a special case. That's a special yeah. Movie. Since I've we're talking about the 200 times, probably. 
So let's talk about the parody. Can I ask just a kind of off-the-wall question? Do sure. you think that the horror parody, or really just parody movie style, but the horror parody has now died off with the emergence of YouTube and TikTok where everyone can make a parody? That it almost kind of feels as if those movies have fizzled out? I think that's a really good point. Yeah, because... Um, yeah, we don't need a studio to make fun of them when, right. when we can all do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may that may be a good reason why we're not seeing them like we were. And I know Weird Al said that's the hardest part of him trying to do a new album now is by the time he comes up with, okay, this is popular, let me write my parody, let's put everything together. Eight other people have put out a, a YouTube yeah. parody yeah. album. He's like, yeah. I can't be fit if I'm Weird Al. Right, yeah. right. But they're still doing all those movies. They're still rolling out parody movies of everything. And I do think that they're more broad than, than you might give them credit for on the surface in terms of hitting all the things in that genre. But it's just a generational thing, probably. It could be. I, I think so. Like, Leslie Nielsen went really over the top. I love him. Just like these movies go over the top. It just oh, yeah. felt different. Yeah. 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 yeah, it may be a generational thing, because when we think parody, we think... Yeah. Shots, we think. Airplane. Uh, Naked Gun. Yeah. What, two and a half came out this Monday one, right? Thank you. Right? Naked Gun, two and a half came out, two and a half? Oh, yeah. Two, there was two and a half, and there was 33 and a third. Yeah, I think two and a half came out in 1991. Two and a half might have been 91. You might be right about that. Um, but yeah. Naked Gun was life-changing. And I also think I also think that horror parody is a little bit of a tougher thing to go after because horror... So much of the horror genre has humor built in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like it's you're parodying something that is already kind of aware of like, its own satire. Yeah, like yeah. so, it's kind of hard to pull off. Also, yeah. and everybody seems to think both horror and comedy are easy, and they're not. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. You no. can't just slap something together. No. Well, you can. People <laughs> sometimes do. Yeah. People yeah, and that's do. that's exactly it. Right. I say that there's a lot to be said about the horror genre now, going to so many jump scare in your face. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because some some of those. Good horror movie versus. Yeah, we're jump scaring everything. Some of those nonstop jump scare movies almost seem to be parodies in and of themselves. Like they're it gets so ridiculous that we've got to uh, we got to keep going because we're running out of time here. Uh, let's see, Michael, you yeah. got another 1991 item. I do, uh, something that changed uh, the movies for, for the good. Uh, that's Beauty and the Beast. Yes. yes. Uh, the, at the time, the highest grossing animated film at over 100 million uh, United States and Canada. Uh, it's, it was a big deal. Um, and then looking at what it's done for Disney and all of our childhoods, you know, uh, the idea of the happy-go-lucky, you do the right thing, you'll always defeat the bad person, but um, it really started, in my personal opinion, a new wave of, of movies. I believe from Beauty and the Beast is what we're, we're kind of going away from the Cinderella's, and we're going away from the Snow White's, and we're going to this, the, that leading into the Lion King, leading into um, yeah, everything all the way to Frozen. So I think that was a real kickoff of what I like to call the modern Disney. And so also the Bulmer scene was the first Disney use of CG. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, Belle is a less helpless heroine. Yes. As far as, you know, looking at Disney, you know, like Snow White, uh, she runs away, she falls asleep. Cool, you know. <laughs> um, you know, Cinderella, pretty, pretty helpless. Um, 
you know, so Belle, and again, we're still evolving and we're, we're getting some really interesting Disney females, you know, now, but she was really smart. She was um, mocked for being a bookworm. Um, you know, she was, she was maligned because she was like a woman that was interested in being intelligent. Um, but she wasn't completely helpless. She wasn't a complete pushover. She didn't just pass out and spend the entire story, you know, sleeping and being pretty. Like, and that's the thing. I think it, it, right. it was it was the beginning of the transition from just being pretty to having some substance. As we start Absolutely. to see that with Belle. Right. Well, and it's a major left turn for I think Little Mermaid yeah. was the one just prior to because that was eighty nine. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So that this is a Mermaid started. The, Beauty to be solidified. Yeah. No. Well, no, I don't even. Feel, I feel like Little Mermaid was was very regressive. Yeah. I feel like no, it was, it was, it was, it was a step back. Belle, and I love the Little Mermaid. Okay. Yeah, I I like the movie, but, but, but of those people that created the, the whole mm. idea of Little Mermaid is like everything about you is crappy, so you should change all the things about you right. to get this guy to love you. And, right. and sign and, a contract, right. break your contract, and then let's get mad at the person who blew the contract. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so Beauty and the Beast, as far as the Protagonist felt like a, a major advancement yeah. from from what had been just a couple of years before. Yes. And well, it is a bit about uh, what is that thing where you fall in love with your kid never? Stockholm, Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. It, it, there's there's a lot of that yeah. to talk about, but but she also put herself in that. I think that was so brilliant. She put herself into that situation. She made the choice yes. to be captured. Captured. Yeah. She right, right. Show. Yeah. And so at this point, you're seeing in the the animated world, it's no longer what was me. I'm the poor helpless girl. Right, you're seeing someone going. I made this choice to do something for somebody else. Yes. Therefore, I am, you know, and it's. She, she's much more in control than. Yeah, a hundred percent. Any of the Disney women that we've seen prior to it, um, I love Belle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not just even Belle. Just even look at um, Mrs. Potts and the relationship yes. there. Look at, uh, I mean, just all the characters there were so well written and. You almost can find people you know inside the characters. Absolutely. You know, and I thought yeah. that was brilliant. The the uh, Gaston is that kid yes. in high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, Mrs. Potts, that's that's Grandma, and you yes. could just you could really build those connections that I don't think you could do in Little Mermaid or Cinderella or they were they yeah, had that same feel. That's actually a really yeah. good point because they, relatable. Like, yeah. The you know the previous ones were were more about uh, Cinderella and everything else was kind of stage dressing. Right. This had an actual. Excuse me, uh, just a second. Entire. Hey guys, guys, if you wouldn't mind just stepping outside, we're doing a panel. Anyway, continue on. Or actually, you know what? We got to speed round this thing, Nicole. Okay, so for speed round, I'm going to bring you guys someplace real weird. All right, because Gary took my good one. <laughs> um, so I like real weird movies. I like real obscure movies. Um, Silent Night, Silent Night, Deadly Night, yes. Part Five. Part five. All right. Called the Toy Maker. Okay, you guys stay with me for a minute because I'm going to bet that other than my husband, nobody in this room has seen the movie. Uh, okay, Gary. Gary gets points. No, you you guys made me oh, watch yes, it. Yes, you did watch it. Oh, yeah. house. You made it me is watch insane. it. Mickey Rooney. So, real quick, speedy version. Mickey Rooney is an insane toy maker that is making toys that intentionally um, like hurt and or kill kids. Uh, a toy like kills this kid's dad and then he stops speaking and two weeks later the mom has a new boyfriend um which and she's mad at the kid for not she's speaking. really really <laughs> super mad at the kid two for, weeks. like 
being a drag. <laughs> you She's get like, over it. yeah, why aren't you over it yet? It's literally two weeks after, after he yeah. watched his father get killed by this weird toy. Life is pain, son. Be a man. Yeah, so she's, got a, she's got a new boyfriend. She does not understand why her son won't just like jump in and embrace this situation. So she brings him to this toy store to try to get him uh, a, a toy to break him out of it, whatever. Mickey Rooney is an insane toy maker, and he has a son who you find out at the end um, <laughs> that he is actually like an android, and he falls in love with the protagonist woman, and then he strips off all of her clothes because he wants to do it with her, but he is built like a Ken doll. <laughs> and it is, and that is just the quick version of how absolutely insane this movie is. Um, I'm getting the time warning, but I don't know, you may hate me for it, but if you have a chance, and you want to watch something that is going to make you go, what in the hell is this? But it's fabulous. It's really fun. Get together yeah, with a group of friends, sure. drink some beers, watch Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5, and you will be like, what? If anybody... And then you'll say, like, what? If anybody does plan to watch this movie right based on her recommendation, uh, find me after the panel, and I will give you Nicole's phone number. <laughs> So that you can let her know how you feel. Exactly. Is there a part one through four? Oh yes. Oh yes. And you should just watch the whole thing because okay, Sideline Deadly Night One is a great slasher movie about a kid that uh, gets this twisted thing about Santa, so he goes and kills everybody. Sideline Deadly Night Two. Nope. Nope. Eighty percent of it is. We gotta wrap it up. We cannot talk about all four other Silent Night Deadly Night movies, but we will do. We will talk. Let the horror track know that you want a Silent Night Deadly Night franchise panel and I will do it and well, it'll just be Nicole honestly <laughs> yeah, you won't even need the rest of us uh, you guys thank you for coming and listening to us talk about 1991 uh, remember five stars in the app and uh, everybody one more time tell us uh, where we can find you online and what you're up to uh, you can find me here all weekend. You can find me on the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics Track Facebook group or our YouTube channel. Smash that like button. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, my name is Battle Cougar. I think it's on private right now because uh, I recently got a new job. But uh, um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm part of the Needless Commentary team, so you can find me trolling around there. Um, I've tried to stay off Facebook because I think it's a pit. So find me on Instagram, Battle Cougar. Um, I'm pretty much just on Facebook, really. But everybody can see you tonight everybody at 10 p.m. in the Hilton Crystal Ballroom at the Big, Big Damn, Damn Game Damn Show. Uh, you can find Phantom Troublemaker and Needless Things Podcast on Instagram. Uh, check out the Needless Things Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And the Needless Things YouTube channel is out there as well. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, the real Michael Mosley. Uh, and Michael is spelled like Mickle, M-I-K-A-L-M-O-S-L-E-Y. I'm on all the medias, even though I don't really use them that much, but you can find me on all of the socials, and uh, you can also find me on Execute Chapter 66, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thank you so much for coming out, you guys. Uh, remember, get in the app, look for all the stuff we're doing, and of course, if you don't go anywhere else, just stay in this room and enjoy the classics track, because it's the best. So having reviewed the audio... 
it's weird. I feel like because we were wearing masks all weekend, and I, I mentioned this uh, last week on the episode. I was very impressed with everybody being safe. So every panel that you're going to hear, we're wearing our masks the whole time. And I feel like it was more noticeable. The mask muffle was more noticeable on this one than it was on the Audible interlude episode that we recorded. Which, by the way, you can find wherever you get your podcasts. Audible interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Uh, If you didn't listen to it, go check it out. Even people that aren't into G.I. Joe enjoy that show, I have been told. Uh, So check that out. Uh, But it's not bad. But just, yeah, I, I should have mentioned this before in the intro that there's, there's a little bit of mask muffle. That's why everybody sounds the way that they do. But still, great panel, high energy, lots of fun. We had a blast. Uh, and it went so well that we everybody didn't even get to their second picks. So I, I've still got stuff stashed uh, for later. Obviously, we won't be doing another 1991 panel anytime soon, but there are other possibilities for use of pop culture references and knowledge. You guys, please check out the Needless Things YouTube channel. Join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group. Uh, If you give smart-ass answers to the questions, you'll not get in the group. Because that's the point of the questions, is to weed out people who are going to be a problem and who are going to make the group less fun than it should be. Uh, So answer the questions earnestly, and uh, you'll get in and we'll have fun. Uh, That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. I love you guys. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.